Right, should we do Amsterdam? Yeah, I'm just delaying uh, the the porn bit as long as possible. <laughs> so, not surprised. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think we're all wanting to, to, to delay it as long as possible. It's Friday, March the 31st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and German Language Mangler by Proxy, <laughs> and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Brandenburg Gate Painter. Yes, we have a Berlin-focused uh, job titles this yeah, week. Yeah, we seem to be the Berlin <laughs> News Podcast this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's start with your job title. What's this? What's that about? King Charles has, is visiting Germany on his first state visit uh, this year, and uh, he delighted and surprised everyone by addressing the Bundestag in uh, in, in, in German. Um, but it seemed uh, I don't know, and, and um, yeah, he gave this address, this speech, uh, where he addressed uh, the delegates. Of course, it's the first time that a, a monarch, any uh, serving royal, has actually spoken in front of the German Parliament uh, since uh, mm. certainly since the current German state was founded in 1945, uh, and that angered some German MPs, especially on the on the left, uh, the Die Linke group. Uh, that some of them boycotted the speech. They said that it was wrong for a uh, for, for, for the highest institution of democracy. Democracy uh, to be uh, to bow before serving royal. They also said, "Look, we abolished the monarchy a century ago," well, which is yeah. uh, quite a good argument as long as you don't think too hard about what happened next, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what exactly. they replaced it with. Uh, did, did they start fire? Did they set fire to the to the Reichstag or not? Uh, they didn't start? set fire to the uh, okay. to the Bundestag. No, uh, no, the Reichstag. <laughs> no, sorry, that's uh, yeah, it's the same. <laughs> some some in some way, it's the same building, of course. Uh, um, yeah, possibly. Um, but but um, yeah, but, uh, but, but yeah, but there are lots of headlines about King Charles giving his speech or certainly part of his speech uh, in German uh, but yeah. uh, I you weren't know, impressed I, right I wasn't particularly impressed I have to say I went on Twitter and I saw a lot of Germans are very complimentary about Charles's German but it sounded kind of quite stilted to my ear and he, he certain words he seems to have pronounced in a bizarre way like he said he said meine Damen und Herren like, like, sound like, the, like the name of the bird, which is sound like. I wonder what the subtitles. In fact, someone actually put up um, a, a screenshot of the subtitles, which ah. uh, which seemed to have been really struggling uh, with, with his language. And, if uh, it was know, one of these automatically generated subtitles, then yeah. it would have been off the charts. I it think, would say yes. things like so dear, dear intestines and herring and, and, and vacas. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, do you do you know uh, <laughs> what um, uh, the the first king of the Netherlands, uh, who, who was French, that was the brother of Napoleon. Uh, Louis Napoleon. He um, once said that, you know, he was also he was French. He tried to learn the D Dutch language, and he referred to himself as Konijn van Nederland. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> he, he mispronounced <laughs> Koning. He yeah. instead said, "I'm the rabbit of the Netherlands." <laughs> exactly, yeah. uh, so that's a, a similar situation, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, did, 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 did he did he go to Amsterdam dressed in a giant rabbit costume? Because I know they're <laughs> he, trying to track, crack down on that kind of thing these days. He did yeah. go to Amsterdam because maybe he, he started the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he found it an erotic center in Amsterdam, <laughs> even though uh, he did find found the the uh, royal palace, which used to be uh, at the Amsterdam city hall, of course. Yeah. But he, he turned it into royal palace, uh, which uh, yeah, I don't know about his. Um, 
uh, about his affairs or something, but I don't think you can uh, you can count that as an erotic uh, center. Yeah. And he also didn't use it as a set for a uh, for a porn. Um, no. <laughs> which we'll well, as far as we know, although as far as we know, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but coming back to Charles, yeah, I just kind of thought his his German was a bit sort of uh, yes, yeah, stilted. It sounded to me like he was actually just reading from a phonetic uh, phonetic yeah. script. It would yeah. sound. Yeah. Um, I agree. But, but yeah, but anyway, I, I guess we, we should compliment him for uh, actually ha- having a go and not just speaking English very slowly and loudly uh, the way most uh, Brits who go to Germany yeah. do. Um, but also, but I kind of expect his German to be better purely because his father, um, the Duke of Edinburgh, <laughs> was a fluent German speaker. Yeah. In fact, it was probably his preferred language. I saw a regular clip of him being interviewed on German television and he was much more eloquent in German than I've ever heard him be in English. Um, Certainly Charles's uh, aunts from his father's side, uh, yeah. it was their preferred language as well. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, let, let's stick to to Berlin. Yeah, and, staying, uh, staying in Berlin. Yeah, so you made you made us a, a, a tremendous discovery about the Brandenburg Gate this week. Yes, uh, because uh, it, it's also uh, it's also King Charles related because he was welcomed at the Brandenburg Gate uh, by the German president. Um, this week, when was it? Wednesday, something yeah, like that. It was this week? It was uh, I think Wednesday. Was it Thursday? Wednesday? Let's look it up. I something like Thursday. that yeah. um, and <clears throat> I realized that I didn't know anything about the Brandenburg Gate so I googled yeah. it and it turned out that uh, it was built to commemorate the successful uh, invasion of the Netherlands by Prussia uh, which <laughs> right. I didn't didn't realize. Uh, I I did know that Prussia once invaded the Netherlands. That was because uh, we had a stadtholder, William V. He wasn't particularly a strong a leader or anything. So there were some rebellions at the end of the 18th century, and he was forced to move from the Hague to to Nijmegen, uh, basically exiled. And his wife, who was a, a Prussian princess. Um, uh, took matters into her, uh, into her own hands and she stepped into a carriage and then she uh, uh, traveled back to, to The Hague to take back uh, control. However, she was arrested in Goejan Verwelle Sluis Right by uh, by some rebels, uh, which is of course waterschap related because it was only basically a lock that was the only thing there. Right, and as a result, uh, she was sent back to Nijmegen, and she uh, asked her brother for help, who was the king of Prussia, and he um, invaded the Netherlands to restore the uh, Prince of Orange uh, to power successfully, and uh, as a result, um, 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 it also established Prussia as an as in as a European power. Mm. Uh, and um, as a result, he um, he erected the Brandenburg Gate. Right. So every time you'll see images of um, I don't know uh, um, uh, the Battle of Berlin or the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, you will have an orange feeling from now on. <laughs> right, uh, okay, because yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is all thanks to a a, a Dutch waterschap uh, that uh, the Brandenburg Gate was so erected. The, the Brandenburg Gate exists, yeah, in commemoration yeah. of the Dutch waterschap. Yes. Yeah. So, so yes, another case of the the waterschap playing a, uh, a, a crucial a, 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 role. A, 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 <laughs> kind of crucial but uh, hit but invisible role in shaping yeah, exactly. the course of history yeah yes yeah as i would yeah um so yeah all this talk of kind of um uh, tearing up uh, capital cities uh, brings us neatly round to the opf of the week uh, yeah uh, a lot's been going on in amsterdam this yeah week. lots yeah. lots in berlin lots in amsterdam yeah. uh we, there was plenty of opf to choose from uh, we will hear about uh, one of the other stories later in the podcast uh but there can only be one official opf of the week and that's the news that amsterdam is going to import roman garbage uh, wow. The municipal waste disposal plant AEB will process 900 tons of household waste on a weekly basis brought from Rome by train. 
Rome has been struggling with piling waste in its streets after a fire in a major incinerator last year. And the Italian capital is prepared to pay 180,000 euros to AAB every week. Hang on a second, there was a fire in an incinerator? Yes, I mean, ironically, is that not, isn't it? supposed to happen? It was, it was an uncontrolled fire, <laughs> okay, I think. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the city council of Amsterdam has given a green light to the deal. And many people, including several MPs, were wondering if the Netherlands should really burn other countries' train loads of garbage, while hundreds of building projects are put on hold, and many farmers fear their future as a result of the nitrogen crisis. Uh, Deputy Infrastructure Minister Viviane Heine told the Tweede Kamer that the 900 tons of Italian garbage will not contribute to extra nitrogen pollution, because the Amsterdam incinerator would have found other garbage to burn. AED is already processing garbage from Britain, Belgium, France, Germany, and even Iceland. Wow. Uh, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> we, the we really are kind of the, the garbage hub for the whole, for, <laughs> for, for half of Europe. I mean, yeah. AED is, is the Schiphol of European garbage, yes. <laughs> um, the incinerator itself is sure the deal will benefit the environment more than leaving the garbage on the landfill in Rome. Uh, presumably meaning the city itself, I think. Mm. Um, and even if you take the transport into account, it is uh, uh, more beneficial for the environment. Uh, and also some Ajax fans have pointed out that this is the least we can do for Rome after it has suffered tremendously under Rotterdam garbage in recent years. <laughs> That's a reference to Feyenoord fans. Yes. Uh, who will be going to, well, uh, going to Rome again in a couple of weeks. They'll be on the, on the return train. It will <laughs> return garbage train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. They they yeah. do have to board the train in Amsterdam. I don't think if they would uh, enjoy that very much. But uh, no, yeah. maybe they, maybe they can combine it with a trip to the new erotic center. Yeah, a last uh, uh, last farewell to the uh, to the red light district. So we are the trash capital of Europe. Officially. <laughs> we really yeah, are. Yes, Amsterdam. yes, and yeah. and that's not because of uh, British uh, stack parties. <laughs> no. Yeah, so that's the thing. That's the thing. Maybe that's the whole plan. While Amsterdam wants to get rid of the the trash coming across from the North Sea, it's going to replace it with trash from, yes. the, from the Mediterranean instead. <laughs> this week, Mark Rutte promises to listen to voters more after they told him to get stuffed in the local elections. Absolutely nobody is happy with Amsterdam's plans to ban smoking weed and move the red light district. The national football team are upended in Paris, and there's no happy ending for French writer Michel Welbeck's efforts to cancel his erotic realist masterpiece. Prime Minister Mark Rutte is trying to hold his cabinet together as the coalition is adjusting to the new political reality following the landslide win of the pro-farmer Boer-Burgbeweging in the provincial elections uh, over two weeks ago now. On Tuesday, the cabinet held a crisis meeting to discuss the election results, in which Baby Bay became the biggest in all 12 provinces and now makes up 25% of the seats because uh, the provincial representatives have been officially installed uh, yesterday. Yeah. Um, the Farmer Citizen Movement was founded in protest of the government's plans to tackle nitrogen emissions. And while the party has only one seat in the Tweede Kamer, they will become the largest <laughs> faction in the Senate. And uh, recent polls uh, that came out this week um, uh, projected BBB to win 28 seats in the Tweede Kamer compared to 27 for the VVD. So they are now virtually the largest uh, party uh, in the Tweede Kamer as well. Yeah. 
After the four-hour-long meeting with senior ministers, Rutte told journalists that a number of major processes, such as the way the Groningen earthquakes has been dealt with, the childcare benefit scandal, as well as the nitrogen strategy, need improvement. Uh, but how he uh, failed to comment. Uh, it, it resembled that um, uh, very humorous, very funny uh, uh, teletext headline yeah. uh, two weeks ago where Rob Hoekstra said, uh, things, uh, need, things need to change, but don't know, he doesn't know how. Yeah. And this is a this was a similar similar uh, uh, comment by by Rutte. Um, the talks have centered around the question if politics had been there for everyone, and the conclusion was that this isn't always the case. Rutte said, hmm. which is kind of I thought what he said when his cabinet resigned last year, but uh, and he was going to be a new model of um, yes, administration, but. but uh, that's right, but I th- yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think what he resigned over uh, uh, over uh, uh, one specific affair, issue, yeah. the the, the childcare benefit scandal, um, after the election, which is all, all uh, almost two years ago two now. Years ago, Tomorrow, yes. two yeah. years ago, yeah. there was the one uh, April first debate where um, uh, <laughs> you you might remember it. Um, yes. Uh, um, it's the anniversary of the April 1st debate where um, all sorts of questions were raised around the uh, entire um, uh, 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 way the Netherlands is governed and administered. Um, but yeah, he hasn't found an answer uh, to that question uh, in the past two years because he is again contemplating on how to deal with these uh, with this broader issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that doesn't conceal the fact that there is, uh, uh, again, one pressing issue, I think. Um, yeah, but after, yeah. I mean, Rutte sort of spent the election campaign, the provincial election campaign, trying, uh, so trying to avoid the nitrogen issue, avoid the BBB. Yeah. Um, and uh, the BBB, of course, uh, as, you, as you said, uh, grew up in as, as a protest movement against uh, the nitrogen plans. But now Rutte is kind of saying, oh, well, it's, uh, it, it, it is kind of about nitrogen, but not just about nitrogen. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's still yeah. he's still uh, trying to, uh, um, yeah, deviate attention from nitrogen, even though he's uh, <laughs> he's pointing out a lot of flaws in his in his cabinet and in his uh, coalition agreement and the way they are dealing with things. So I don't know if that's a particularly mm. uh, good strategy. Um, but yeah, he says that uh, in his analysis, in in his analysis, uh, he says that uh, uh, the big win for Baby Bay does not only concern nitrogen even though it's a very important part, but it also reflects voters' general discontent on other smaller issues, uh, which in the broad scheme of things seem small, but are very important for, for, for voters uh, individually. For example, the lack of public transport in rural areas or uh, people being unable to send their children to their preferred schools in s- big cities because of long waiting lists. Um, all sorts of, uh, th- th- these are all sorts of, uh, these are all issues that comp- tribute to this general sense of discontent among voters mm-hmm. that has reflected uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the latest election results. Um, but probably the most pressing issue remains nitrogen. Uh, CDA, which used to enjoy wide support in rural areas, suffered again a major uh, blow in the provincial election and it now yeah, basically wants to renegotiate the nitrogen chapter of the coalition agreement, which, yeah, as a reminder, took almost a year to finish, right? Mm. Or three, nine months to 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 finish. So uh, there was hard work. Uh, uh, it took a long time, and to reopen these negotiations uh, might open another can of worms, which uh, it they almost certainly will. Yeah, and of course, even after negotiations, after they had that chapter written into the coalition agreement, they still needed Johan Rempis to come and sit down and broker a deal with uh, the agriculture sector. 
So exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, um, uh, that would mean that this is actually a third time that they are going to negotiate on this 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 topic. Um, and it's also very much opposed by De Sester uh, because they yeah. demand that the deadline to reduce nitrogen emission by half remains in 2030, and they do not want to be, to have it extended to 2035, uh, which is also a wish by the uh, Boerburgerbeweging. Uh, Prime Minister's own pa- Prime Minister Malkerter's own party is also not keen to extend the deadline and relax the measures, not necessarily because they don't uh, want to or they don't f- or they feel that uh, 2030 is 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 a it is a, such a pressing issue that 2030 must be the deadline but it is mostly because it's their minister Christiane van der Waal who has drawn up the plans and she uh, has faced uh, uh, life threats right uh, she she has uh, yeah. uh, suffered a lot of yeah, she put herself on the, yeah, her whole kind of literally whole life on the line That's yeah, the, yeah, yeah yeah exactly so it's also for the VVD it's also almost a personal issue to stick to to the nitrogen plans yeah um, and relaxing these plans it almost feels like surrendering to the people who showed up uh, uh, to uh, van der Waal's doorstep with tractors and with um, yeah all sorts of uh, nasty comments yeah Um, although I have to say I mean she she is kind of striking a different tone now isn't she because uh, she had a letter from the European uh, Commission the European Union uh, from Brussels this week um, as which was sort of pointing out um, that uh, they had to get on with the, the, the nitrogen reduction because it's all to do with European um, uh, emissions and conservation targets and she sort of said uh, she, she kind of criticised Brussels for sending this this, uh, this letter and said uh, she understood the concerns of the farmers so she seems to be sort yeah. of more conciliatory towards them now in That's the right, election yeah, result. Yeah. Yeah. She's also criticised on election night when she immediately responded that uh, yeah. yeah there is no room whatsoever to uh, uh, to give in uh, to Baby Bay uh, 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 when it comes to nitrogen and when it comes to the plans, she was criticized for that and she has uh, uh, backed down a little bit, uh, probably yeah. um, on the dire- director, directive of, uh, of Margaret himself. Um, so she has, uh, she, uh, her initial response was understandable, I think, given everything that has happened. But yeah. politi- the political reality is that she has to stay open for... Um, yeah, suggestions from other parties. Basically, uh, if it was only because there is no majority in the Senate, and if she, um, if the if the plans are not adjusted, and that's also a, th- a thing that Deze Sester should uh, 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 should realize, I think, um, mm. then all the plans will strand in the Senate probably. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess Van der Waal and the whole cabinet here are just caught between a rock and a hard place because the, yeah. the BBB don't want to budge, they don't want to budge on this uh, this date of 20, uh, 2035 um, and uh, take really the opposite view. And uh, yeah, as ever in Dutch politics, some kind of compromise will have to be reached, but it's it, it's really hard to see what it is. And on, you've still got um, um, organizations like Mobilization for the Environment lurking in the background who yeah. said they'll bring more court cases if uh, they if they don't start. Because remember, this council state judgment now is uh, from the, from 2019. It's four years ago. And they're still talking about how to actually implement implement the judgment. Yes. And now you also have the EU sending letters, so yeah, also so putting pressure on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it's not going to get any easier. Um, and Caroline Funder Plus, uh, has she had any other dates with leading politicians, uh, this uh, other leading politicians this week? Uh, yes, uh, in fact, she did. Sadie Ali, the Wopke Hoekstra, popped up at her office uh, for coffee um, and... Um, there was a, there were a lot of cameras present there when he arrived at her office and uh, he was talking to the journalist and then he walked into the wrong room first. So, um, yeah, I, that's not a... Uh, <laughs> has, he, has he got the same sat-nav as Liz Truss? <laughs> I think she, it just she, she famously tried to leave a room and went the wrong way and yeah. had to turn, turn around again yeah. I think it was just uh, trying to find a fridge to hide in but there's yeah. uh, literally not, not, not one large enough yeah. for him to... Uh, um, it will not be the, the it will not be the last U-turn performed by Vodka Hoekstra on no, Nitrogen. I, th- <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> yes, uh, Hoekstra and Van der Plas talked for half an hour, and afterwards they said there is plenty of common ground between their parties. But that's not really surprising because BBB is practically a CDA splinter party. Mm. Van der Plas was once a uh, uh, city councillor for the CDA in Deventer. Yeah, and so was her mother as well. And so was her mother, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, I'm not sure if she was an actu- actually a city councillor, but at least she was a she candidate. Was in the party. So She's definitely a party member. I she mean, was definitely yeah. a party member. She has campaigned for CDI as well. Yeah. Um, Van der Plas emphasized that for her, the 2030 deadline and the forced buyouts of farmers remain non-negotiable. Um, and she urged Hoekstra to start re- renegotiating the coalition agreement. And afterwards, she also told journalists, like she did after a meeting with Rutte last week, that she expects the cabinet to fall in the near future. And uh, Van der Plas had another big win um, because EU Commissioner Frans Timmermans has agreed to come to The Hague to meet her. There was a lot of discussion about um, who is going to, uh, to, to, to come to where because yep. uh, Van der Plas said she's too busy in The Hague, so uh, uh, Timmermans must come from Brussels. Uh, it was a whole row, but in the end, yeah. um, uh, 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 Timmermans has, uh, uh, is coming to The Hague. So Timmermans is back down. Yeah. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Um, and um, I also have to add that um, this was on Tuesday. It wasn't the only crisis meeting. On Thursday, the cabinet had a crisis meeting again. But Rutte didn't want to say anything afterwards. What has been discussed, other than that, he is confident that he and the coalition will find a solution. Uh, and the cabinet meets again today for the regular weekly council minister. But of course, um, the whole. Uh, election thing is is and the nitrogen thing is high on the agenda. Um, they are planning to send a letter to Parliament, and uh, next week on Tuesday right. we will finally have debate on the election results with Rutte on Tuesday. <laughs> and you are laughing very loudly, and I don't know why. I, did, I, I just love the smell of a new administrative culture in the morning. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the more yes. things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly, yes. But Tuesday we have a debate, so uh, that's at least something to look forward to. That's it, yeah. yeah. But, but lots of uh, politicians emerging from rooms and, um, and not <laughs> yes. saying anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there is a new, new administrative culture, and that is the open door meetings, because <laughs> Uh, 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 Van der Plas and Hoekstra they met in front of an open door and all the cameras were just uh, uh, recording the whole awkward exchange uh, between them uh, you know they were first exchanging pleasantries and what kind of coffee do you want and it all felt very awkward and also the uh, the meeting 
of the cabinet was held in uh, uh, yeah the the prime minister's office, uh, but uh, apparently they don't have they don't close their wooden doors anymore. They have uh, replaced it with a glass sliding door in front oh, of right. it. But okay. uh, but the yeah. doors looked like they were they were completely open, but they were the, 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 they were behind uh, behind keys. It was just a transparent door. Okay, yeah. So so, so, so some transparency has um, yeah, yes has crept into has emerged. such politics. Good. Yes. Absolute bombshell news this week, as the City Council of Amsterdam found out the streets of the capital had been infiltrated by drunken stoned British tourists. <laughs> the municipality they were shocked, was, shocked to they find that They were shocked, shocked to find that uh, yeah, the, the, the cannabis smoking was going on in the streets of Amsterdam. <laughs> the municipality was blissfully unaware, apparently, until last Tuesday, that crowds of people wearing false breasts, inflatable hats, L-plates and giant genitalia-shaped outfits weren't over here for the culture and fine dining. They were also at a loss to understand why stag parties and stoners were drawn to a city whose most famous attractions are the coffee shops in the red light district but now that the pennies dropped they're determined to do something about it councillors say residents are fed up with the persistent stench of cannabis and the glassy-eyed tourist zombies staggering about those are actual quotes right those are actual quotes yes yes yes, uh, while taking a holiday from their morals these are all quotes from the cda Oh, um, yeah. um, I thought it was uh, it was an official Amsterdam uh, city council vote, uh, no, quote, but it's uh, no, it's, it's, it's from a city councillor from the from uh-huh. CDR whose uh, name I didn't write down. But yeah, uh, so the city council has made a series of videos that pop up online when people search for things like stag party Amsterdam, and uh, employing the time on a tactic of threatening people with a good time, they feature the caption "Coming to Amsterdam for a messy night, stay away." <laughs> Uh, the videos go on to show drunken tourists being confronted by police and spending a night in a cell and point out that they risk a 140 euro fine for disorder and a criminal record. And if you want to, um, I, I think we should uh, search for a link of these videos because they are yes. actually ridiculous. They and are absolutely, it's, yeah, they, they, I think Rita Verdonk must have been had a yeah. hand in the production. <laughs> so. in, yeah, yeah, actually, actually, it really does. Yeah, it stands in a long tradition of of cringeworthy yeah. uh, 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 government uh, campaigns, yeah. government funded campaigns. Yeah, it's um, it's yeah. terrible. F- F- Flicken Amsterdam. Um, and I think I have a question, don't I? Yeah. Yes. Um, and do, do, this is hardly going to do anything <laughs> about rowdy British tourists uh, coming to Amsterdam, right? Or, or, or does the municipality really expect it to be effective? I don't know if they expect it, but it's obviously not going to have any effect whatsoever. In fact, it might, if anything, it's likely to have the opposite effect. Um, and yeah. uh, it's going to have a kind of Streisand effect. Rather like, you, um, uh, you remember the, um, uh, the, the whole Project X Thing that happened yeah. in Haren, right up in the north, where uh, there was a there's a kind of on online. Uh, this is about coming up for ten years ago now, I think. But it is a whole longer, on, on, I think. Yeah, yeah a whole online. Uh, some teenage girl up in uh, Haren, near Kronia, uh, had a party, and yeah. um, everyone on Facebook decided they were going to go. Um, and uh, the, the, the 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 local council said, uh, "Please don't come to Haren." Of course, that just fueled it even more, and yeah, the media course. started turning up with satellite trucks, and sure. Yeah enough hundreds of people then duly turned up in this small village and uh, caused havoc uh, yes. so yeah it was com- completely self-defeating and i guess this is likely to go the same way um rtl packed their rolling tobacco and headed to london to find some brits who said it wouldn't put them off uh, one punter <laughs> said quite candidly smoking weed is why i really want to go while another claimed sort of implausibly said oh yes i think it's, i've heard it's really beautiful i want to go for the amazing architecture and bridges over stuff 
<laughs> yes. But really, he's going for the stuff, isn't he? Yeah, but, exactly. uh, and not the bridges. Yeah. Um, others suggested the warnings look more like adverts, and uh, they were and telling British people uh, not to go out on a messy night was a bit like telling the Dutch to wear cycle helmets for their own safety. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's in their nature to behave terribly at night. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, certain British tourists. Um, what well, one Twitter user said: "I wasn't going to go to Amsterdam, but now they've highlighted what's on offer. I think maybe I will." <laughs> Um, and it's not only the councillors who are upset with all this nonsense, right? No, because the sex workers are up in arms as well, because uh, Mayor Famke Halsemaer wants to restrict the red light district and ultimately relocate them to a new uh, uh, sparkling erotic centre or mega brothel uh, <laughs> a yet-to-be-specified location. So 150 sex workers marched on the city hall this week to protest against the plans. From this weekend, the window brothels in the Vallum will have to close three hours earlier at 3am. The council also is also banning cannabis smoking in public, is restricting alcohol sales and trying to dissuade pub crawls in an attempt to clean up the area. F. Halsemaer says the reputation and the safety of the area are compromised by petty criminals and tourists who come to look but not buy. But the sex workers themselves say the problem isn't the tourists, it's the drug dealers and there aren't mm. enough police on the streets. So, um, they're all they're really opposed to is the mayor's plan to shut a hundred of the two hundred and forty nine window brothels and move them to a multi story erotic centre built by a private developer either in Amsterdam Nord or the business district in Amsterdam Zout. So, it's uh, not just the uh, councillors and the sex workers who are upset in Amsterdam. I ask again. Yeah, because uh, in addition to that, Halsma is also facing resistance from uh, the people living in the two proposed yeah. locations for the new erotic <laughs> centre. So everyone everyone hates this, basically. The, 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 yes. the, 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 the sex workers don't want to move. The people living in the areas don't want uh, the sex workers to move in with them. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Funk Halsma says the problem is the red light district and the people who live in and work in the red light district say, no, the problem really isn't the red light district. In fact, this is probably the best place for us to be. Nevertheless, mm. So she's pressing ahead, and the council are pressing ahead with this idea of a uh, of an erotic centre in the Zoutas district. The European's Medicines Agency and international businesses object to the idea of prostitutes working within ten minutes walk of their offices. And residents also say it was too close to a school, local parks, and the A10 motorway because um, they're worried that criminals will just breeze into the area and then uh, make a quick getaway. Um, in Nord, furious residents packed a meeting with the mayor and uh, in true Amsterdam fashion, they didn't pull their punches. One woman from the floor heckled Halsemar, calling her the brothel Madame Amsterdam, who only called in once in a while to check on her sex palace, which earned her a stern <laughs> rebuke for sexism from Halsemar. Uh, another person uh, said uh, they're not just coming here to drink tea, are they? Uh, the mayor said she was trying to deal with the problem of nuisance tourism without relocating it. So, obviously, relocate the source of the nuisance tourism or the thing that they all, the tourists all come for. Uh, and she didn't expect drunken British tourists to make use of the facility, which kind of suggests she's not really familiar with how drunken British tourists behave. Yeah. <laughs> the city council is expected to make its decision in the next few months and will no doubt be plenty of uh, rowdy meetings in between. Lots to look forward to. So, if, if, if you want a messy night in Amsterdam, turn up at a meeting with Humphunke Halsemer <laughs> because that's as messy as it gets, frankly. That's a good joke. <laughs> 
The Education Ministry has set aside 100 million euros to introduce free school lunches at schools with a large number of students from low-income families. Schools where at least 30% of the pupils come from poorer families can register for the funding. School lunches are introduced following successful trials with free breakfasts at 500 schools as a result of a motion by D66 leader Pater Notte and Volt leader the plan will cover some 300,000 primary and secondary school pupils and the payout will be 9 euros per child per week and the meals will be open to all students. And how are the lunches going to be organised? That's all up to the schools themselves. They are free to decide if they want, for example, to offer breakfast or lunch. The project is organised on a school-by-school basis via the Red Cross and Education Fund Jeugd Educatie Fonds, so that teaching staff don't face extra pressure. And the idea is that volunteers will be drafted to help make sandwiches, but schools can also bring in outside catering companies. Schools can also provide the poorest families with Red Cross food checks worth 11 euros, which can be used in any supermarket. Right, and the Education Ministry has also set aside extra money to improve basic skills in schools. Yes, because it turns out that uh, Dutch uh, uh, pupils uh, can't read or count anymore. Oh. <laughs> uh, Education Minister Dennis Wiersma has allocated an extra 108 million euros a year for the next two years to boost reading, uh, writing and arithmetic skills at primary schools. And the new money comes on top of 448 million euros that was already reserved to improve basic skills. Last year, school inspectors raised the alarm over primary school's pupils' uh, reading abilities. Apparently, half the children are now leaving primary school with minimal literacy and maths levels. The new money means more schools and therefore more children can be helped. And in total, 2,200 schools and 650,000 children up to the age of 12 can benefit from the scheme. The funding will be allocated to schools on the basis of school inspectorate results and figures provided by CBS. And those selected will get 500 euros per pupil per year to use on extra coaching and also on teacher training. Yeah, so a lot of catching up to be done uh, seemingly after since the pandemic, but the problems seem to be more deeply rooted than that. So, yes, because yeah. because we already saw a, a decline in literacy and in uh, uh, and in math skills uh, in the past year. So also before the pandemic, but of course in the pandemic when uh, children were, were were taught at at home, um, yeah, didn't help of course either. So no. um, it yeah. is definitely I think the the, the whole. Uh, 448 million uh, was was uh, I, I, probably the pandemic was the was the main reason to 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 allocate all that uh, all these hundreds of millions. But yeah, it is it was more needed than um, only because of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah, but I think the pandemic kind of brought it into focus, didn't it? And also the yeah. the, the, the achievement gap I think grew because some yeah. family families had very different experiences. I think schools said that some pupils just completely disappeared. They just never saw them in online lessons and other other people's course were in families where you had to, two parents helping with their homework and a laptop. Some children didn't have a computer at home. They had to go down to the local library. They you know, maybe had one parent or, 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 or who, was, who was constantly working and didn't have the time to invest in uh, their education. So yeah, there's uh, yeah, it's brought this kind of yeah, this kind of uh, lag and backlog into sharp focus. I think yes, so it's good that they're investing some money in trying to help pupils catch up. 
If you've got a bit of spare change left over after your latest drug-fueled sex excursion to Amsterdam Nord, why not consider throwing <laughs> a euro or two in the direction of this podcast to keep us on the straight and narrow? We do enjoy making these podcasts and bringing you the latest news and political developments from the Netherlands, but it does take precious time and effort, and we really do rely on your contributions to keep going. So, as ever, a big thank you to all the patrons out there who continue to chip in, and if you're not a sponsor yet, and you can spare a small amount each month, it can literally be one euro, a pound, or a dollar. We even take pounds, uh, unlike Frank uh, Halsemer. <laughs> Please do look up our Patreon page. All new patrons get a shout-out by way of thanks, and the chance to ask us a question. And this week we say hello and welcome to new patron Andre Smith. Uh, so thank you very much, Andre, for being coming uh, a very generous uh, donor to this uh, to this podcast. Uh, he tells us he's a lawyer from Chicago, and I've always found Dutch history and culture interesting, so I started learning Dutch around four years ago, and that doesn't seem to have put him off, so well done. And has, in fact, made an annual trip to, uh, ever since. Um, his question is, uh, I recently heard on another podcast that it's sort of still law that every Dutch person gets a letter when they're 17 to say they're automatically enrolled in or drafted into the army, but they don't have to show up. Is this true? Um, yes, 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 it is true. As yeah. you probably will know as well, Gordon, because you have uh, a sons around the age of 18. Yeah, my, um, my, youngest, my youngest son is 17 now, and he's just received a letter, I think, a couple of months ago. Um, I've got the letter here, actually, that uh, his brother got uh, yeah, after two and a half years ago, um, just before. You get it when you're 17 to warn you in advance that uh, you're going to be <laughs> yeah. added to this list. But it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of strange, because it says um, uh, that um, the, the points out the Dutch armed forces uh, are, these days are all made up of professional military personnel, professional soldiers. Uh, so although you're called up, you're, what it basically says is that your, your municipality will add you to the list of conscripts, but you won't yeah. actually be... But, but, but actual military service um, uh, was ended in I think 19, no, in 1997 it says here yeah. so it's uh, yeah. I mean sometimes there's been military service some political parties think it should be brought back or brought back in a different form kind of civil service the army themselves I think don't want a load of conscripts uh, clogging up the system into uh, under-motivated unskilled uh, people who just do a year's service and then go away again uh, they'd much rather have a professional army but basically what, what happens is in classic Dutch fashion basically you get put on a list so you're added to kind of the <laughs> there's a big administrative army of everyone everyone in the Netherlands from the ages of 17 to 45 which I think is the most Dutch thing the, the, the most yeah I don't, don't think the army could have taken on a more Dutch form than, than that yeah, frankly yeah, yeah. yeah. no uh, yeah as you said there has recently been some talks about uh, of course because of the invasion of russia and ukraine um uh, there has been some some people that have suggested that we should reinstate conscription as well but yeah the army is very much opposed to that because they just don't want to deal with unmotivated uh, tons of unmotivated uh, youngsters uh, who uh, yeah um, um, it, it's it's basically a waste of time and money and also we don't have the means or the 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 uh, or the real estate uh, to accommodate yeah. all these uh, all these people uh, what what uh, there is also as you said uh, a sort of a Dutch solution being investigated right now and that is a voluntarily conscription so um, nice. people who um, youngsters who want to spend a year in the army um, uh, they are allowed to do that if they uh, uh, and and that yeah basically means it is a selection at the gate basically right so um, the army is also 
suffering from an enormous lack of personnel. So the hope is that if you um, yeah, allow youngsters to come to the army and uh, um, um, initially only for a year, the hope is that they will stay on as, uh, mm. uh, as a professional uh, military servant. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's still in in, in there's a, there are some pilots working. I believe there were 500 places last year available, and um, at the at the at the first day of enrollment, that was already full. So there is a lot of mm. um, enthusiasm uh, 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 f- for such a scheme, uh, but it's not officially there yet. But yeah. I think it's coming up. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised that no political party has uh, has taken this up um, on the other side, pointing out that um, basically this is a letter that tells you you're being conscripted into the German army, right? Because from <laughs> tomorrow, April the first, the last Dutch regiment is being folded into the German army or coming under the command of uh, of, 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 of 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 German officers because the Dutch and German uh, armies are, or armed forces are merging. Only, only, only the 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 army section of of uh, of the armed forces, yeah. uh, the the navy and uh, the air force still remain under our own control. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the Dutch army is now uh, um, sort of absorbed into German uh, uh, divisions uh, as of as of uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but um, the defense minister Kaiser Lundgren has. Uh, assured us that we still have control over our own um, battalions and um, 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 uh, we decide where they will go um, even though they are partly german now so i don't think the i think this is this is one of these promises that they can make but in in reality in practice when 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 decisions need to be made um, it's probably the Germans who will decide what's going yeah, to as happen ever. Yeah. as ever, uh, <laughs> both in football, in the EU, and also now in the Dutch army. Also now in the Dutch army. It's kind of a Brandenburg Gate uh, solution. Really. <laughs> yes. Say, yeah. We're all serving in the shadow of the Brandenburg Gate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, uh, you can go to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. Greenpeace this week stepped up its calls for a ban on private jets, especially those used for short-haul flights. The richest 1% of the population are responsible for half the world's aviation emissions, according to Greenpeace, and the Netherlands is one of the worst offenders. The number of private flights departing from Dutch airports has exploded in the last three years. Obviously, recovery from the pandemic has something to do with that. But in 2020, 2,484 private flights were recorded. But in 2022, this number had risen to 12,176. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it has increased almost five times. Almost fivefold, yeah. And total carbon dioxide emissions were up from 6,723 tonnes to 52,923 tonnes. The most frequently flown route was Amsterdam to London with uh, 1,298 flights, which kind of makes sense. It's two capital cities and there's a sea in between. So, and there are no other. <laughs> there's no other way. No other way to get to London. No right? other way to get from Amsterdam to London, and also no yeah. other airline that's flying between these two uh, cities. Yeah. No. Of course. Yeah. And you've got to be able to get to and from the erotic centre now that's moving, <laughs> moving further away from Schiphol as well. So there are also 149 flights between Amsterdam and Rotterdam, and 62 trips between Maastricht and Liège, which is a distance of just 37 kilometres. I mean, you, you can run it in a couple of hours, really, couldn't you? I can't, but some people can, yes. In fairness, that route is less popular than two years ago when there were 113 trips recorded, which uh, mm. maybe has something wow. to do with the 
fact it was harder to get across the border during COVID, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, what do Greenpeace say should be done about all this all? They've uh, launched a petition to ban private jets altogether. They say it's a wasteful luxury and it's unfair that the rich can wreck the planet while 80% of the world's population have never flown on a plane. And they point out the private jet can emit two tons of CO2 in an hour of flying, while the average person produces 4.7 tons in a year. Hmm. Other countries are taking action. Belgium is bringing in new taxes for air travel from April the 1st. Uh, so if you want to fly by private jet to Brussels uh, before they take effect, you've got about eight hours. <laughs> the amount of tax paid depends on the noise level, greenhouse gas emissions, and the destination of the flight. And they're putting up duties for journeys of less than 500 kilometers. And typically the people who can pay for a private jet are the ones who have a tight budget and have to uh, yeah. be careful about all the money they're spending. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that a couple of extra euros in tax will tip the balance. Yes. France is also banning short-haul domestic flights for journeys between cities if you can travel by train in less than two and a half hours. Although mm. it's not clear if the rule will still apply when the trains are on strike. <laughs> so that will probably de defeat the whole purpose of the, of, of the, of the measure. Yes. At the moment, it applies to just three routes, I think one of which is Paris to Bordeaux. But the worst country for private jet pollution is, surprise, surprise, the UK. Three of the top ten most CO2-intense flights are in Britain, including the 7.4-kilometre trip from Farnborough to Blackbush, which, I mean, to be fair, I think that's Farnborough's a military base. I think there's mainly military flights there. Hmm. Nevertheless, seven kilometres, which has flown by 13 times in 2022. Okay, wow. And more than 90,000 trips were made by private planes uh, that uh, took off in Britain, generating 500,000 tonnes of CO2, so nearly ten times as much as uh, we produce in the Netherlands. French novelist Michel Houellebecq has lost his legal attempt to stop a Dutch art collective issuing a film in which he has sex with several women. Judges in Amsterdam on Tuesday dismissed the controversial writer's efforts to stop the release of the pornographic film by the also controversial Kirak Art Collective, which stands for Keeping It Real Art Critics. Mm. Ralbeck claimed he consented to appear in the porn film to counteract his gloom. And the aim of the porn was to make a work of art in which the distinction between fiction and reality takes shape as a game with the rancorous paranoia of your enemies. I mean, he's not fooling anyone there, is he? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah. The writer discussed the plans with the director in a series of emails and signed a release form agreeing to appear in the film, which said... The participant will be performing as a subject for usage in artistic, fictional, documentary, performative, essayistic, erotic, pornographic films and Kirok episodes. I can hear the geese getting very excited about this. Yes, so, yeah. I hear them as well. <laughs> There's literally sitting one in my window. <laughs> you should christen him Michel. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. <laughs> Uh, the only restriction, according to the court documents, was that the film would not show his face and genitals in the same shot. Welbeck walked out on the project before the end of the shoot at an Amsterdam hotel room after disagreements with the director. And the writer told the court he was suffering depression at the time of signing the deal and had drunk several glasses of wine. But the court found it incomprehensible why Welbeck participated in the recordings if he really found the agreement to be problematic. And the court said there was enough time between the time of the conclusion of the contract and the start of the recordings to decide to refuse to cooperate. And earlier this month, judges in Paris rejected a complaint about the trailer, which Welbeck argued damaged his private life and honor. He has a point there. Mm. Uh, as well as spreading lies about his wife. 
it wasn't the first time a writer starred in a porn by Kirak and got cold feet. Sid Lucas, uh, who uh, dubbed himself as the Forum for Democracy's party intellectual, mm. uh, had also attempted to uh, ban a a video by Kirak in which he starred. He was uh, seduced, he said, by a left-wing student who is also a collective member, uh, Yini Jane. Well, one of these remarkable stories, when you <laughs> see the headline, you think, surely April Fool's Day is coming yeah. up. This must be one of these uh, April Fool's story, but unfortunately it isn't. Very unfortunate, yeah. yeah. Th- th- this is the film that you didn't know that you needed in your life, right? Uh, to M- Michelle Wilbeck's uh, porn masterpiece. So. I definitely don't need this in I, my I, I life. Don't know how, I don't, don't know why anybody uh, thought that this was a good thing to bring to the world. But um, Yeah, Kirok. I think yeah they are a, yeah a left wing artistic collective and they enjoy humiliating uh, these right wing thinkers. Will Beck gained prominence I think yeah. because uh, a few months before nine eleven he uh, uh, wrote a Islam critical uh, book I believe yeah that was his claim to fame and Sid Lucas uh, uh, as I said as well he was a philosopher involved in uh, Forum for Democracy and he has written several party principles I believe for Forum for Democracy so they clearly enjoy humiliating self-proclaimed uh, uh, right-wing intellectuals. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, they are very successful in this, so <laughs> we must... Of course, uh, Welbeck, uh, his latest novel has uh, just uh, been translated into Dutch, which uh, appropriately is called uh, Vernietigen in Dutch, ah. destroyed. But he wasn't able to persuade uh, the court to, um, to, to destroy his film. Yeah, what also doesn't help in generating attention for these sort of projects is afterwards going to court over it. I think the the same thing happened with Sid Lucas. Uh, He tried to block that video from coming out, and uh, by doing so, he attracted all this attention. I mean, I don't know what would have happened if uh, Welbeck hadn't gone to court. Yeah, I guess the the best way you could salvage this, really, is if now that uh, Welbeck has lost his case, I mean, Amsterdam City Council could maybe use this video to deter British tourists from coming to Amsterdam <laughs> if they just broadcast this on, this on the internet and said, this is what's waiting for you yeah, at the new erotic it... centre. Nobody would come. You know, the, the flights would just stop overnight. Literally nobody will come. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's uh, probably a more effective way than uh, whatever that ad campaign is supposed to be. <laughs> The chicken curries came home to roost for the Dutch national team as they were thrashed 4-0 by France in Paris in their opening Euro 2024 qualifier. They were 3-0 down after 20 minutes. Kenneth Taylor of Ajax lasted just half an hour before being replaced after making two dreadful mistakes in the first two minutes. And Memphis Depay added the blunt coup de grace when he missed a penalty in injury time. It was one of these games. I, I you weren't watching, right? This is, this I, I was watching. I yes, uh, and it's one of these games that I believe the first goal was scored in the first uh, three minutes or something. It's inside two minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and immediately you knew this is going to end very badly for yeah. Oranje, and uh, you could uh, immediately turn off the TV and uh, watch something else instead. And yeah, uh, yeah. or you yeah, can carry three. on watching the yeah the, the worst humiliation since uh, Michelle Welbeck's. Uh, <laughs> Trip to an Amsterdam hotel. <laughs> it's also the worst result for Oranje since they lost 4 0 to France 
in ah, Paris in August 2017. Again. Oh, wow. So yes. this seems to be becoming a bit of a habit. Ronald Koeman didn't mince his words after the game. We gave away possession 20 metres in front of our own goal, he said, and if you do that against teams of this quality, they'll punish you. And it didn't get much better on Monday night in Rotterdam against the part-timers and lower leaguers of Gibraltar. Although the Dutch did win, they had 50 shots on goal and only managed to convert three of them. And even though Gibraltar played most of the second half with 10 men, Koeman described the performance as sloppy, a bit like a chicken curry. (laughs) One consolation for Gibraltar was their neighbours on the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, uh, also suffered a humiliation. Uh, They lost 2-0 to Scotland in Glasgow. Uh, I wonder why you you wanted to mention that, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a great job for uh, tremendous for Scotland. Scotland. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Um, moving on to my other favorite sport, cricket. cricket um, yeah. There is also some bad news for them, right? Yeah, uh, having cursed the baseball team a few weeks ago, this podcast this week worked its magic on the cricketers. They lost the third and deciding Monday international to Zimbabwe at the Harare Cricket Ground. And after two close contests in the first two matches, basically the Dutch crumbled in the third match like 11 Kenneth Taylors. Max O'Dowd and Vikramjit Singh made a promising enough start with a first wicket partnership of 67, but then Zimbabwe's spin bowlers ripped through the middle order. The Dutch ended on 231 for 9, and Zimbabwe reached their target with 50 balls to spare. Coach Scott Edwards said he felt the team played well across the three games and earned valuable experience ahead of the World Cup qualifiers in the autumn. The Super League campaign wraps up with two matches against South Africa on March the 31st and April the 2nd. And uh, yeah, a big wheel is pulling out of Dutch cycling, right? It is. Cycling and speed skating. Uh, The Jumbo supermarket chain are pulling the plug on their professional teams at the end of 2024. Jumbo and Norwegian software firm Fisma have built what's currently the strongest team in road cycling. They've won 20 races already in 2023, and Jonas Fingerhard is the reigning Tour de France champion. They also sponsor some of the top skaters, including Jutta Leerdam and Thomas Kroll. Richard Plücker, director of the cycling team, said he wasn't surprised by the decision. This writing's kind of been on the wall. It's not been a great year for Jumbo, as well as uh, the founder, Karel van Eert, uh, who is a big sports fan and kind of the driving force behind the sponsorship. Uh, he died at the age of 84. But um, even more problematically, his son Fritz has had to stand down as chief executive after he was arrested in September on suspicion of money laundering and fraud. Hmm. And that investigation is ongoing. So the Umbo teams will now look for a new sponsor. Uh, the cyclists used to write a Rabobank, but the bank pulled out after the team was implicated in a doping scandal in 2012. So not a great history for uh, cycling sponsorship, but I guess if you're involved in um, in road cycling, sooner or later you're going to get involved in a drug scandal. Yes. Jumbo is also one of the main sponsors of Max Verstappen in a personal capacity, but nothing's yet been said about whether they'll continue with uh, that particular relationship. Yeah, I remember recently I saw a photo of Max Verstappen in his car with his helmet on, and I suddenly realized this tiny sticker with Jumbo (laughs) (laughs) over it. (coughs) Formula One is, of course, a very international sport, but I don't think anyone in Bahrain or Brazil or in China will be persuaded to do their groceries uh, at Jumbo uh, from then on. No, but. Not even for the Strop Waffles. No, no. I I would travel from China for the Jumbo Strop Waffles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I think Richard Plugge has been sponsoring Max Verstappen ever since he was uh, only a go-kart uh, racer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he has been involved in Max Verstappen's entire career So uh, and, and has mostly made it possible for a large extent. Yeah. And I think it is a um, prestige uh, thing for Richard Plugge to uh, to keep sponsoring Max Verstappen because yeah. it is, his, after all, his biggest uh, achievement as a, as a uh, sports sponsor. 
Yeah, and I think these days it's more of a beneficial relationship for Yumbo, really, because they, yeah. they stock all this Maxwell stuff and paraphernalia and baseball caps and lunch boxes and things yes. in a very prominent display. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, um, although we will not link to Michelle Welbeck's <laughs> film. No, I'd like no, to say no, that. No. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout out on the podcast uh, and uh, thanks. My thanks to Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Derrick. We won't be back next week because it's Good Friday, oh. but we will be back in two weeks' time. There's, uh, there's uh, yet another geese uh, situation going another, on. Another uh, geese situation going on, <laughs> eh? Right, the, the, the geese. Uh, have you got some kind of like geese sex brothel uh, going on? <laughs> An erotic geese centrum? <laughs> no, I think they are recording a a, 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 a geese porn. Yeah, is, is, there a French, is there a French goose in there who looks a bit kind of depressed and haggard? <laughs> it's waving a, a white flag, so I, I, I guess it is French, yeah. Well, uh, there, there's a lot of porn going on here because there are a lot yeah. of uh, uh, geese. It's that time of that? year, isn't it? Yeah, chicks. No, that's not the yeah. word. Is yeah. it? Yeah, geese, gos- goslings, goslings. <laughs>